all of the teacher candidates who were there all summer stepped up to the call that was asked of them. They, I'm certain, had multiple hesitations, and I'm hoping that they questioned everything. But never once did I ever see any hesitation in that this wouldn't work. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So um, learning to unbox today, I am super excited, always excited, as, as you all know, about the conversations that we get to have with amazing people doing really, really cool things for the purposes of teaching, learning, and the future of work on this program. And today, um, it is my true, true privilege to be able to talk with a couple of pre-service teachers and a mentor teacher about the journey they all took together this spring and summer, you know, as, as in part a series serendipity, if you will, let's look on the bright side, of being involved in the middle of a global pandemic when from the perspective of being a pre-service teacher, you have to be able to figure out how to get some of your your teaching experience and and practice in. And it can get a little bit difficult. And, you know, some institutions took the approach, hey, let's just be done. We're going to put it on on pause, put it on hold. Um, Unfortunately, um, you know, these ladies we're talking with today had another opportunity to try to to backfill some of that stuff and so I'm hoping to hear um, from everybody on this call sort of how that all sorted itself out. So I am very excited uh, to welcome today uh, Mary Schneider. Uh, Mary is a master teacher, STEM coordinator, and educator tied to uh, educator programs at the PASS Foundation and the PASS Innovation Lab. Uh, Mary has been teaching forever. I like to tease her about. Uh, but more importantly, Mary um, has a special affinity for working with young new teachers or teachers in training. So, uh, Mary, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Annalise. Thanks for having me. And joining Mary, um, we have two of these these, these new, new teachers in training. Uh, so joining us is uh, Soprisa Jones, um, who is a participant in the STEM Plus, the Ohio University STEM for All, STEM Plus, I'm not exactly sure, but you guys are going to let me know sort of how the university thinks about it, uh, program um, at Ohio University. And she's in her third term in that program. And, you know, more importantly, I love the way you describe yourself, that you begin your mild to moderate intervention specialist education. And I think that that's not necessarily the way that lots of folks would sort of think about the way they were engaging in that. So we're going to talk about that as we move along. So thank you for joining us. For having me. All righty. And, um, and, and, and joining those two ladies um, is also Bailey Lohr, who is also um, in her third term at the OU uh, STEM Plus or STEM for All program. We're excited to also um, talk with Bailey. So Bailey, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so I want to start actually with Saprisa. So give us just a little bit of background about the program that you are in, that you and Bailey are both in. So so what's the gist of this program? So the STEM Plus for All is a program for 
people who do not have education backgrounds, but have some uh, sort of like science, technology, engineering, or mathematical background or a degree. And it gives them the opportunity to be an intervention specialist. Okay. And so at at Ohio University, and how long does it take typically, how many semesters is the program? Well, it depends what uh, cohort you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Mine's began January and I'll graduate summer of 2021. So it's a pretty quick program, actually. It's about 18 months. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so Bailey, it's intriguing to me and I'm thrilled to see it. Your, your actual background is in music. And yet here you are in a STEM program for intervention specialists. So, so tell us a little bit about how this program, why this program for somebody with your background and experience, why does that make sense for you? Well, I actually, I'm currently a paraprofessional mm-hmm. with the Education Service Center of Central Ohio. And I've recently found out I love teaching math. And I mean, there's a lot of math and music, which I noticed when I was in college, more so than I ever noticed before. But I really enjoy teaching math and like experimenting with things. And it's it's just kind of a great program to pique my interest even more and help young people understand, you know, those subjects. Yeah, and I think it's a great opportunity for us to collectively point out that, you know, there there is no STEM without the arts. And so the overlay and intersection of all of these disciplines, um, you know, sort of rolled into one, you know, everybody let the acronym go and, and let's focus on the intent. Um, and so I think that, again, that, that that's that great little synergy for, for us all there. So Mary, I want to turn to you a little bit. So talk to us um, and our audience about sort of the why that this connection between this intervention program at OU and the past foundation and a global pandemic all colliding at once. Talk to us a little bit about sort of sort of that synergy, and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of what the three of you ladies did together. Sure. You know, in this, in this COVID world that we're living in, we would have at the past foundation had these students be in the classroom and the teachers would have joined us all face to face. We have these pre-service teachers, these teachers in training who are looking for opportunities to fulfill all of their requirements. And we can't get together in a room to do any of that. And the past foundation, as those who have listened to your podcast know, we were very comfortable in the virtual world. And the teachers in their pre-service training need to become <laughs> now competent in that virtual world. And so why not throw us all together in this virtual room and let everybody do everything that they're supposed to do? They get a little bit of guidance. They get to teach. The students get lots of mentors and opportunities to learn. And it was just a perfect storm coming together in a very bad situation with COVID that that allowed everybody now to succeed in in a different format. Right. And and so let's let's talk a little bit about that opportunity to succeed because 
Although both of you, and I'm talking uh, specifically uh, Saprisa and Bailey, you 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 have you come from different backgrounds in terms of your experience with your work and your career, and you know you both come with some exposure, uh, different um, exposure to to teaching in the K twelve environment. You know Bailey was with ESC, Saprisa, you've done a fair amount of substitute teaching, including some long term sort of stuff that you've done. So it's not like you were completely novel to a classroom environment but how novel was the 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 predicament of suddenly having to do all of the instruction sort of in a virtual sort of space um saprisa you're you're shaking your head so tell us a little bit about that were there apprehensions what were you thinking as it relates to sort of making this transition especially at this point in your training it was very different i expected to be in a classroom to teach Um, This was actually my first time teaching high school students. So with COVID, my first time teaching Mm -hmm. high school students, I was like very, very nervous. So what I did, I really watched Mary, her teaching strategies and how she just coped with the students, how she inspired them. And I kind of like when I taught, I modeled after Mary because that's what you're supposed to do. Um, You're supposed to look to your mentor and for guidance. And she gave me a really good analogy. Um, She told me teaching is like walking your dog. You have to guide your dog. You cannot force your dog to walk. You can, but it's not going to be a pleasurable experience. So like as teachers, we have to be there to guide students. We can't force them to learn. And that's one thing Mary did not do. She did not force the student to do anything. But she was nice enough where they wanted to participate. So Bailey, what about for you? Same same question. You know, were, was there some trepidation around thinking about you know this opportunity? Oh, definitely. I you know I currently I've only worked with third and fourth graders, mm. so I've never worked with high school kids, and I would have enjoyed being in the classroom just to get that experience. But like Saprisa said, Mary. Just she had all the information we could possibly need. She was always there for us if we needed to talk to her. She really made this experience what it was and really helped, I know, me understand how to work with older students. I guess I didn't realize that, that both of you came from a younger student uh, sort of experience. I, I didn't realize. Is the, is the cohort um, that came and participated this summer, and any of you can answer that question for, for us, is that is it a cohort of folks with mixed sort of experience or, you know, sort of across the board? Mary's shaking her head yes. So it's not just elementary or middle uh, or high. It's all across. Yeah, we had we had military experience. We had real work experience. We had, yeah, everybody had experience from everything from little people all the way up to 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 adults. Yeah, and so Mary, let's talk a little bit about um, sort of the approach that you 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 took specific uh, with this group of teachers because this all all the teachers in this cohort are intervention. Specialists, right? And so that is, we've done lots of different pre-service pieces, but we've not done a cohort specific with intervention in the same way. So how did you think about as you started prepping to, you know, sort of bring these these teachers on with you and sort of facilitate their journey? Well, it's actually kind of funny because so Prisa made the comment here a little while ago that that they're a group that really don't have they have no education in their background. And Yet both of these ladies, even in what they're talking right now, have done nothing but talk about the education that they've had 
in in their life and and not only just in being educated but being educators and so when we started the program i knew i had to give them a voice in what we were doing so we all got together and that i believe was one of the first things i told them they all told me they were there to observe and i said no not so much <laughs> there's a lot of that, shaking that, of heads yeah she said that <laughs> <laughs> and you know a little bit of that deer in the headlights look in in that oh my no what am i going to do i don't want to be on the spot this is a different you know and our very first class together after we kind of organized how everything was going to go our very first class together, of course, virtually with students, is a disaster. <laughs> Technology wouldn't work. Kids wouldn't turn on cameras. Nobody would talk. And you could, you could just kind of see this whole idea of teaching virtually just kind of, you could kind of see, and, and ladies, you can, uh, you can disagree with me here, but you could just kind of see in the back of their heads that this is never going to work. This can't be successful. And the process that we went through, and I don't know if they know it or not, but was I, they were equals to me in the classroom. And as those pre-service teachers, if they believe, if they know that their voice is as important as whoever is in charge, they start to shine. They start to feel confident. They start to speak up. The kids looked at them as if they were teachers. And once you're living in that space, that's what you are. And so I threw them in. I, I threw out the question to them, do you want to teach? And sometimes those emails came back really quickly. <laughs> sometimes those emails came back really slowly. And so they said, yes. I then had a small discussion with them virtually, say, what do you want to do? I asked them if they wanted to create something. They want to take one of the preset modules. Do you want me to give you something? You want to make your own? And by the point in time where they actually had stepped up and were willing to take the class, I think almost all of them said, well, yeah, I'll look through this stuff, but no, I, I think I can make something. I can do this. And then they just, they flowed like it was just their own classroom. They felt ownership in what they were doing. The students looked at them as if they were owners. They just rose to the occasion as every great teacher does. So when Sapresa says something like, you know, we don't really have that education background going into this program, I throw a flag on that <laughs> all day long. They just didn't know how to, how to put all of that together. Mm -hmm. So they're really lifelong learners who are now, you know, showing up or stepping up to, to teach. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they demonstrated that. They, it, these guys are coming from a very non-traditional educational mm -hmm. background. And the students realize that. The students recognize that. And because of that, they found a different connection with the students. And the students got to look at them in terms of, all right, cool. I don't have to just graduate high school. I can go do some things. I can be what I want to be. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much value in that. So Bailey, 
it wasn't easy every day, I have no doubt. Having 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 been in the observation chair on these programs over the years, uh, you know, uh, many, many times, it's, it's not easy. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the not easy part. So it was it was several weeks um, this summer uh, teaching virtually uh, with a group of students. This is the Perry County crew. Um, yes, Mary, that we're talking about. Yeah, uh, because we had I know um, folks from your cohort in a number of different environments, but you guys were working in an out of school credit recovery to some extent type program. Yes, Mary, um, in Perry County, and so um, not a, not an easy place to learn to teach to begin with, right? Because, you know, anytime you're having to deal with the the recovery of content, if you will, and that's a whole nother conversation, not for today. Um, but, but it does make for some difficulties in thinking about the way you approach helping folks who are sometimes resistant learners to, to be in that space. So Bailey, what was the hardest thing that you had to overcome this summer? And prepare yourself, Saprisa, because you get that question next. <laughs> uh, I think the hardest thing for me was making sure, like, getting the kids wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, like, I don't know about Saprisa, but I kind of went in with the whole, I'm going to get to know them on their level. And, like, when we would do breakout rooms, I would talk to them and just, like, talk to them about their lives what what their interests were and kind of share in that because a lot of our guys they loved like gaming and playing video games and I'm a gamer as well. <laughs> so it was kind of cool to see and build up that relationship. And I think that was gonna be I knew going into this that was going to be the hardest part this summer is building that relationship virtually. Yeah. Yeah, very good. And Saprisa, how about for you? What was the hardest thing for you this summer? I can agree with Bailey, but also getting the students to participate when you teach. Um, When I plan my lesson, I try my best to get participation, but it was sometimes hard. So I found ways, maybe like activities at the end Mm -hmm. that we could do and talk about. And I try my best to engage the students when I went through my PowerPoint. Like, do you have any questions? Um, I provided examples to the students. I just wanted their participation. That was my biggest and hardest, you know, concern. Mm-hmm. And that's not easy. And it's, it's, you know, there, there are teachers who've been teaching for a very, very long time who suddenly found themselves having to go from a traditional classroom setting into virtual who are struggling with that. So you, you are not alone in that. You know, it's, it's a real struggle. So, so Mary, what, what was the primary strategy that you utilized? I, I think there's two pieces to this question or two sides of it. So on the one hand, you recognize that you have a group of potentially uh, resistant learners, right? Um, especially high school kids, this whole notion of summer school, of any type of credit recovery, we just do not want to do that thing, right? Especially after a disruptive spring. So I totally understand that sort of perspective. So the one hand is how do you help these potentially reluctant learners engage and take advantage of the opportunity uh, to progress and on the flip side, be able to provide the necessary support to these pre-service teachers who they're not wrong. It's a heavy lift for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think what both of the, the ladies alluded to is you have to meet, and that was my goal going in, I had to meet the students where they were at. 
I knew we were going to have a variety of ability levels. We were going to have a variety of interest levels. Mostly nobody wanting to be there, but everybody saying, okay, I'm here, so let's do something. So meeting them where they were at, it had to be a combination of tangible material that they had to learn as part of the program, but then it also had to be independent, student-driven activities that they had to do that they could make connections to. We did a, a couple, two to three design challenges throughout the summer where the students literally had a good deal of time to really research the material that they needed to and to make it accessible to them. And, and like Bailey said, we had to develop those relationships. It's a virtual situation. We, we struggled with getting the students to let us see them in their space. And throughout the course of the semester, that slowly started to open up. And once you can get them to share their world with you, then you know that's an in for getting them the material. Um, Maslow before Bloom, right? They, they, they have to feel comfortable with the people who are there. And we had, we had eight adults, nine adults counting myself, on every meeting, and we had as many students as adults. That can be pretty intimidating for kids who already feel like they don't exist academically where they where the rest of their peers do. And so when we approached it, we, we split people up. We, we put them into breakout rooms so that the pre-service teachers could build those relationships with the students. So even if student A wasn't happy or didn't like something I was doing, that student could reach out to one of the other pre-service teachers. It allowed the, the teachers on the call to really learn how to build a relationship with somebody they couldn't be around and virtually. And how do you make a connection with somebody you can't see, who's hesitant to talk to you, who's not trusting of the space they're in, who's doing something they don't want to do, in the summertime over the computer. And that to me was, was one of the, the takeaways for, I think almost everybody on the call was that this space is definitely able to be used and used effectively in order to build relationships with students. Yeah, and that's that's one of been one of those great big giant mysteries, right? Through all of this, right? And some places have figured it out, some places have not, some people have, so on and so forth. So, Saprisa, so I want to sort of dig in a little bit about one of the things that Mary said several times about you know these kids wouldn't let you see them. So, you know what what is your takeaway? I mean, I, I, I think, you know, from a theoretical or sort of, you know, even a very tangible sort of standpoint, it's, it's easy to understand where the fear in that. But as you build relationships with these students and students did start to turn their cameras on and engage with you differently, what, what, do you, what did you see as the mechanism that sort of turned the tides? So that was one piece of it, my question. And the other piece of it is, and where was the reluctance from the get-go? I believe a lot of students lack self-confidence and that's why mm -hmm. we were not able to see them. 
as we um, began to get more comfortable with them, they allowed us to see them because we made them feel special. We didn't make them feel like they were less when they answered a question. Anytime they answered a question, we would say, that's a good answer, but you know, maybe that's not correct. We were always there for them. You have to um, make sure students feel comfortable with you and have the self-confidence to speak up and in this virtual environment, show themselves. Did the students know that you were all coming out of a, a program around interventions, intervention specialty? I do not think they knew that. They just knew that we were pre-service teachers. We introduced ourselves okay. as teacher candidates. Okay. The reason I asked that question, right, I was just really curious if maybe part of what was going on was a, a stigma that the students had identified with, you know, perhaps they they have or use intervention specialty or services at their school and they sort of they sort of see that as not not such a good thing or if that was you know part of what's tied to it so um, so I was really really curious about that because I know you know some places do a better job with that than others right that it's it's not a bad thing it's it's an accelerator when done correctly and done well and it, it, it's a very robust you know potential opportunity so yeah yeah so so Bailey when you, spent time working with these kids, what was there an aha moment for you? <laughs> I think there was. I think once I realized that like building the with me, I'm a very social person. So building those relationships were was really, really important to me. So once I kind of, when we would go into the breakout rooms and I would talk to them like on a personal level about just, you know, give me a, information about yourself. That really helped, I feel, helped me break through with some of the students because I got on their level and I was uh, putting that interest towards them rather than just the stuff we were working on itself. Mm-hmm. What about for you, Saprisa? Was there was there an aha at, at any point in your journey this summer? Just, you know, when the students began to get um, more comfortable because a lot of teachers, like you said, there are stigmas um, just with teachers in general, I know, especially with minority populations, even myself, I didn't get along with a lot of my teachers. So that aha, aha moment happened when we start seeing the students. It made us feel more personable. And that was my aha moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really important moments, um, indeed. And and so, Mary, what about for you? Same question, right? So, um, you know, as you sort of think about the journey that you you went through with these this, this cohort of pre-service teachers and and with this cohort uh, of students as well, um, you know, so what was the aha for you? That the future of educators is alive and thriving. <laughs> That that was an aha moment. I was always impressed with the students. I, I mean, that never surprises me. This this virtual world is not new to me. Uh, virtual teaching is not new to me, and and I'm always surprised at the the level that the students will step up to. But I think I was most surprised pleasantly, and and I almost feel bad that it was a surprise to me in that all of the teacher candidates who were there all summer stepped up to the call that was asked of them. They, I'm certain, had multiple hesitations, and I'm hoping that they questioned everything, but never once did I ever see any hesitation in that this wouldn't work, Mm -hmm. that we can't do this. It was a, how am I going to do this? 
attitude that came from all of them. And that thrilled me to death because of the situation that they're all in. They all go into teaching, regardless of when they go into teaching, with this idea of I'm going to decorate my classroom and have this room full of kids. And if nothing else has happened, that has shown us that education doesn't exist within those walls. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, can, it absolutely can be. So Bailey and Sapri, so what's your, what's your take back to your institution, to the university and to this program? Because this was not a planned experience. I'll be really clear with our listeners, right? This was not what you were supposed to be doing, right? Um, for your summer, so to speak. Um, and to go through and do this type of programming. And yet it became the thing you did. And so what is it that you take back to your institution about this experience? You know, assuming that we all uh, swing out of this pandemic and next summer doesn't look like this summer um, or the next opportunity doesn't necessarily look like um, this opportunity. But what's, what's the take back, the positives that came from it that, that should or could influence the way your pre-service program operates, is structured, so on? Well, I think the big thing that I would take back from it would be just the experience and sharing that with the people at Ohio University because yeah this was completely unplanned we actually had something else going on <laughs> that got canceled before we ended up with Perry County so it was kind of one of those very stressful times mm-hmm. but once it worked itself out it was a great experience and i learned so much from Mary and even the students about what I could do in my career. Mm-hmm. And so, Prisa, what, what for you, what, what do you take back? What do you say to the administrators of your program at OU about something like this? Um, even though it was virtual, I still believe it was helpful. Um, we have to be well-versed um, as teachers. And virtual, in-person, it doesn't matter. Um, we're just looking at the strategies again. Um, I love the way Mary um, assessed students. She didn't say it was a test. At the end of the class, she um, had students present what they did the whole program. And I can take that back as a pre-service teacher and use that in my classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't always have to give a test. Please, please don't always give a test, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and if I can add to that, I, I'm hoping that our teacher education programs can see that we don't have to this could be they could have just as well been in a virtual classroom in Washington DC or in Hawaii and they could have been put in front of students who are very different than the students that they might get if they're geographically stomped yep. into the ground mm-hmm. with right mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's they can get the experience with students anywhere by doing this and I would argue, as, 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 as you well know, as I do argue, right, that the greater the diversity of the teacher experience, both in format, in location, in students, in mentors, right, the greater the diversity of experience that we can provide for any teacher, the more powerful the teacher, the individual will be, right? And so, you know, it's, 
It, it is an important thing. And I do hope that would be my hope, certainly, and definitely, uh, you know, what we advocate for at past is to, to get programs to let go of some of what they believe they have to do because that's how we've always done it and embrace the potential possibility right, of, of infinite opportunities um, that are around them. Because I think great, great teachers are teachers who are very, very comfortable in informal education settings. And they are able to take the value of that low risk, that informal, that, that summer camp experience, right? And, and, and use those as the hooks to engage students in the more formal necessities, I guess, if you will, of, of education. And, but it's really difficult. Many, many teachers never, ever teach in an informal setting. And I think that that's unfortunate, right? You know, um, and so um, I appreciate uh, hearing that very much. And so, you know, I always like to close this program um, asking my guests to just sort of give a final lob. You know, imagine that, you know, I'm a teacher, you know, I, I, I'm alone. I don't have this program. I, I'm hearing things that you're talking about and I might want to go try uh, to do something very similar to you. So what's one piece of closing advice that you would have? You know, maybe it's, a, it, it's somebody thinking about becoming an intervention specialist. Maybe it's a non-traditional uh, person thinking about getting into teaching. What was your one piece of advice, Saprisa, that you would give to somebody who's contemplating such a thing? I would just say, go for it. That's what I did. Just go for it. Just go. Just do it. Like, Be brave. Like, yes, just do it. <laughs> awesome. It's, it's a great experience. It's the best decision I've ever made. All my past careers, it's nothing. Teaching, it gives you a different outlook on life. And I get to help my community, especially, I like to say, minority students. That is really my focus. My focus is all students, but I love my minority students that are underserved. And teaching allows me to help them. So I say go for it if you want to be a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful, because we need more teachers just like you. Absolutely. (laughs) And Bailey, what about for you? What what would your one piece of advice be? Well, same as Saprisa too. Like, go for it. Don't be afraid to, you know, jump off the deep end and just dive right in because that's the best way you're going to learn. I, at least for me, I know I'm a very in-person learner, like I learn on my feet. So I love just diving into that experience and just, you know, jumping right in and kind of taking control of the situation. But like Saprisa said, go for it. Don't hesitate because you're going to enjoy it. If you love helping kids or adults, Mm -hmm. you're going to enjoy teaching. Mm -hmm. As as one of our colleagues might say, hashtag be brave. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mary, Mary, what about you? I actually want you to, to sort of direct yours at the institutions of higher ed, right? You know, what, what is your one message to them if, if you know, we've got, we've got folks listening who are involved in pre-service programs from the institutional level. What do you, what do you want them to take away uh, from this story? Embrace the change. We're not going back. Education it is has a, a new focus. It has a new direction. It may not have been what we wanted. It may not have been in the time frame that we wanted it, but it's here. So embrace that change. Don't try to continue to do, as you said, the same thing we've always done because that's a comfortable space and nobody learns in a comfortable space. Embrace that change. 
Absolutely. Wholeheartedly agree. Well, ladies, thank you so much. It has been a joy and I, best of luck to, to both of you, uh, as you as you move into finishing up your program and entering into the teaching profession. We are so lucky to have you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.